Okay, we'll begin in Esther chapter 2 tonight. Esther chapter 2, as we continue our series through this book, which is teaching us about God's providence. We left off last time with Esther being chosen by King Ahasuerus as his new queen over the largest empire at that time in the world. And it's just amazing to see how God elevated a daughter of the Babylonian captivity, still living in Persian exile and being raised by her uncle, to such a high position in the world. Isn't that amazing? Amen for the two of us that agree with that. Um, (laughs) Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 say, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. And so though these people who are choosing to remain in exile are outside of the will of God, we find that God's providence is overruling. And God is still at work behind the scenes on the world stage and within individual lives. Of course, we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. But keep in mind... They don't know the rest of the story. They don't know, they really have no clue on what lies ahead. They don't know what all lies in store at this point. And so we understand that God has elevated Esther to preserve the Jews because God made a promise that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And God still had unfinished business with Judah. And God knew Satan would stir up the heart of wicked Haman to have a plot to exterminate the Jews. And so God is at work here. And remember from last time that it appears through Esther being chosen as queen that it benefited Mordecai because now we find him sitting in the king's gate in verse 19 after she became queen. And this detail is going to be significant as we progress tonight. And then we finish last time in verse 20, where we were told for a second time that Esther and Mordecai are keeping their identity, their nationality, a secret. They have not revealed their kindred, all because Mordecai instructed them to do that. Now, if you remember from past sermons, I believe that's the wrong thing to do. They should not be ashamed of who they are and... And if you were a child of Israel and you denied your nationality, you're essentially denying your God. And it would be no different than a Christian who refuses to acknowledge Christ. And so God is going to use this, though. He's, God is having them conceal this information. They don't know why, but God is putting it in His heart to conceal this information because in God's providence, as we'll discover a little bit later in this account, God is going to use that in a great way. Now, I would tell you, if you happen to miss any of our sermons, please go back and listen. There is a lot of ground that we have covered, and you really need to take the time to listen to them to get all of the pieces and see the big picture of what's happening here. But with that, let's begin tonight by reading verses 21 through 23 of Esther chapter 2. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. 
And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So Mordecai's position within the king's gate has now allowed him to happen upon some information. Of course, we know this is not a coincidence, amen. This is God at work. He otherwise would not have had this information, but this is no coincidence at all here. Um, When we get to chapter 6, we'll find out why this is so important here. We see that the two kings, that two of the king's chamberlains, or they would be eunuchs, who kept the door were conspiring to kill King Ahasuerus. And to be a keeper of the door meant they watched over the palace in some capacity. We don't necessarily know to what capacity. Some believe they may have been keepers of the inner court. Maybe they were even keepers at the door of the king's bedchamber. And essentially they were just bodyguards. And some suppose they may have been part of the, chief, the king's chief security council, if you will. But now they're conspiring to kill the very one they're supposed to be protecting. Have you ever wondered who in the world can you trust? Well, I got good news. God never calls us to place our trust in man. But He tells us that we're to put our faith and trust in God alone, in Him alone. And God doesn't call us to trust man because in His best state, He is altogether vanity. Psalm 146.3, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. (laughs) So we must learn to trust in God. He is our stay. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our pavilion. He is our high tower. He is our shield. He is our portion. And He is all that we need. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but your husband or wife will disappoint you at some time. Lisa almost had a heart attack. (laughs) By the way, pray for Mike Petraco. I've been talking to him this week, and he is not only super-duper busy, but there's some kind of allergen in the air or something. Like, every other word was like, hey, Pastor. I'm like, are you on drugs, man? Are you okay? (laughs) He assures me he's not, but pray for him. He's working at a youth camp, and he's getting, (laughs) they're getting their money's worth out of him. But people are going to disappoint you is all I'm saying. And so we need, to, we need to know when we got married, we married damaged goods. We married sinners. When we gave birth, we gave birth to sinners. So we know these two men want the king out of the way. But we aren't given the reason why. And I discovered there's a lot of speculation as to why they're trying to kill the king and why they are filled with such wrath. And I don't want to bore you with speculation, but quickly, here are some of the thoughts. Some think it was because Vashti was deposed. Some even think that Vashti might have been behind it all. (laughs) Um, Some think it was because Esther was chosen as queen. Some think it was because Esther helped Mordecai. Some think Esther intended to use her influence to have these two replaced and Mordecai further elevated. Some think they may have been instruments of Haman. Some think they intended to kill the king and poison Esther. And some suppose it was just a personal matter between the two of them and the king. One old historian by the name of Gorionitis said, quote, Their design was while the king was asleep to cut off his head, 
carry it to the king of Greece, there being at the time great wars between the kingdom of Greece and the kingdom of Persia, end quote. That's a nice how do you do, amen? What are we tend? We're going to cut your head off. I don't know how this guy came to that conclusion. I have found nothing definitive on this. And so the fact is, we don't know why they're trying to kill the king. At least we don't know why biblically. And so anything offered is really just going to be speculation and theories. But what we do know is, these men are upset and they are ready to kill the king. And these conspiracies were commonplace in those days in Persia. And we know right on through to the the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, and really even into today, this kind of thing is still taking place. In fact, if Ahasuerus is the same as Xerxes of secular history, then in time he was ultimately murdered by Artabanus, the captain of the guard, with the help of Aspametris, a chamberlain and a eunuch. And so I got curious, and that's bad because I always waste time in my studies when I get curious, and I discovered that just in my lifetime according to one list, and this is if I counted correctly, that there have been 42 incumbent heads of state around the world who have been assassinated across 31, life, uh, 31 nations. And that's just in my lifetime. That's almost one a year for every year I've been alive. Just this past week, if you're tuned into the news, you may have read that Vladimir Putin's right-hand man, Nikolai Patrushev, was the target of an assassination attempt, and he was poisoned somehow with some synthetic poisoning. I mean, this thing is still happening today. And people think top positions of power and authority are going to bring some, some amount of safety and freedom. But actually, it puts a target on your back, and it really puts you in more bondage. Now you've got to have security people around you all the time. I like to get away from church. That came out wrong. We'll just stop. My wife's kind of giving me the look. It didn't? Oh, it did. Okay. Thank you, honey. Um, I don't want bodyguards. I don't want the deacons following me around everywhere I go. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4.6, Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Enjoy your time at the bottom. You're far better off to just live your life without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Remember that godliness with contentment is always great gain. Proverbs 15, 16, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Mo money, mo problems. All right. The family Bible notes stated, while the wicked are devising wicked devices and seeking the ruin of others, God may be preparing to overrule it for their own destruction and for the salvation of His people. And so when we see the wicked prevailing, which it seems like we see often, when we see the wicked prevailing, we can rest assured that God's providence is still at work. God knows how to turn the plans of the wicked against them. And we'll see more of this in Haman's plot when we get there. But Psalm 9.15 says, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made, and the net which they hid is their own foot taken. I love how God is able to catch people in their own net. 
And the point is, we have to trust God that His purposes are always being worked out in His time. He's, he's got a plan. When all is said and done, God knows what He's doing. And, and He knows the end from the beginning. And He specializes at confounding the, the wicked and their devices against them. And as this world seems to be imploding, it may seem that God has stepped back, removed His hand, but everything is taking place just as God would have it to. And we ought to have peace about that. And we see this beginning to take shape here, God's purpose and what He's doing behind the scenes here with these two men. In verse 22 it says, And the thing was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. As I mentioned earlier, Mordecai's position in the king's gate has allowed him to obtain this information. We aren't told how, but upon learning of this plot, he takes it to Esther, Esther takes it to the king, making sure that the king knows that Mordecai is the one who has brought this to their attention and has exposed this plot. Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in, their, in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. <laughs> That's good. In other words, you tell somebody, somebody else is going to find out about it. Matthew Henry wrote, Mordecai, I caused it to be made known to the king, which ought to be an instruction and example to all that would be found good subjects not to conceal any bad design they know of against the prince or the public peace, for it is making a confederacy with public enemies. <laughs> End quote. So in other words, you never go wrong by doing right. You say, well, I don't like the guy. It doesn't matter. If you know of something that's, that's wrong, you need to bring that up. Some wicked design that you become aware of, you should expose that. And now verse 23, And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So we find the matter is investigated, and I'm assuming it, it did not take forever like it does today with our government. I love how our government forms committee after committee to investigate stuff, and yet by the time they have anything to say, you're like, what are you talking about? After this investigation, it was discovered the plot against the king's life was all true. And it was dealt with speedily, and these two men were hanged on a tree. Now, when we hear the term hanged on a tree, we have images of the Old West and maybe a rope over a branch and some dude hanging there, some outlaw. But this is not the case here in our text. Um, the Hebrew word for hanged means to be suspended the Strong's Concordance suggests that it may intend a method of harsh punishment known as gibbeting. And this is where a criminal would be hung on public display, essentially in an iron cage, and he would be left there to die of starvation, um, exposure, thirst. Um, however, most believe what this means, and we'll see this when we get to Haman's gallows. I'll talk about it again. But most believe this means they were impaled upon a wooden stake, which was common in Persia. And as you can imagine, it was a very excruciating way to die. I decided to leave out how they impale you. 
but it's exactly what you would think. And we see that this whole incident was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. This would be the Chronicles of the, the Medes of Media and Persia, as it will state in Esther chapter 10 and verse 2. Now, it's important to take note here that Mordecai is not recognized for what he did. He's exposed this plot against the king's life, and yet nothing happens to him, at least not yet. And Mordecai may have wondered, what does it take to get recognized around here? I, I, I did this great service for the king, and it's gone unnoticed. Now, we're not told if he dwelt on it. We don't know, we don't know if it bugged him to death. I would assume that it, it, it at least occupied his mind a little bit. You know, man, I saved the king's life. I get no recognition for this, no honor. Maybe it puzzled him, I don't know. But we'll learn that this lack of recognition, which was common because we'll find out that the king's going to make this right, that this lack of recognition is actually God's providence again at work when we get to chapter 6. In chapter 6, the king's not going to be able to go to sleep. And so he commands for the book of the Chronicles of the Kings to be brought in and somebody read him a bedtime story. So what's the lesson? If you're tired, read 1 Chronicles. And I promise you, you'll be asleep before chapter 9. So-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets. Well, it just so happens. And that's kind of the theme. No, it didn't just so happen. But it just so happens that when the king has the, the book of the Chronicles brought in, that they're reading this event. Of all places. They're reading this event of Mordecai saving the king's life. And the king realizes, Mordecai was never honored. He was never recognized for his actions. And that's going to lead to a fascinating turn of events if you're not familiar with the account. Uh, but we'll have to save that for when we get there. So Mordecai, he's not rewarded presently, but we see that his actions are recorded in a book. And so I have to ask you, why do you do what you do for Christ the King? Is it to be recognized and be rewarded in this life? Jesus was clear that those who seek the praise of men, they have their reward already. Would you rather have the temporal praise of carnal man or hear our eternal God praise you by saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant? In serving Christ our King, we may not get recognition on this earth. In fact, we understand we're to lay up treasures in heaven. Which means we're not going to receive everything until we get there. But rest assured tonight, God is keeping accurate records of what you're doing for Him. Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. So if you're seeking for rewards and recognition presently, then your affections are off. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. So don't seek for recognition and reward now. Your reward day is yet to come. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. 
And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Luke 14, 14. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Don't look for it in this life. I know some that are. They won't put it in those words, but they are frustrated every time something doesn't quite go their way. They're looking for recognition on this earth. It should have happened this way. Do you not trust that God's keeping record? And this ought to be a great encouragement for us to just stay faithful. How long? Until He calls you home. But this also should be a humbling thought for any who are not doing anything for God. He's keeping record. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. Judgment day is coming. And our Lord will sort it all out. Our works are going to be tried by fire and He's going to discover whether we were doing things for the right reasons. Was it to glorify self or was it to glorify our King? And God knows your heart tonight. But listen, saints, God will reward you in due season. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, we need to pause for just a minute here in our series and take note of how these events just kind of keep building upon one another as we see God's providence worked out in this account. And let's just start where Esther is being chosen as queen. If 400 virgins were gathered, as Josephus uh, suggests, then Esther's chances of being selected as queen are 0.25%. But God was at work behind the scenes. As a result of her selection, it appears that Mordecai has been elevated to a new position within the king's gate. All the while, they're keeping their nationality a secret. And all of this, too, is God at work behind the scenes. While in the king's gate, Mordecai just happened to learn of this plot to assassinate the king, and he reveals it to Esther. This is also God's providence at work. Then the whole incident is recorded in their chronicles of the kings. But strangely, right, we would say, but strangely Mordecai is not recognized or honored in any way. This too is God's providence at work. God is actually in every detail here. It's like a row of dominoes that you knock over. And the next one leads to the next one to the next one. And ultimately it's leading to an end. And, and that's how God works sometimes. One is leading to another. It may seem like God isn't in it at all, but He is. And my point is this, that in our life there are times when it may seem like things are not working out in our favor. Or we just assume that this is just another job that we needed to take. Just another day. This was just a coincidence over here. Or whatever. But what we end up learning years later is how God was at work through it all. I look back over my own life and I marvel how God has put it all together. Even though He wasn't always my first priority. 
And even when it didn't seem like he was involved in any of the details, looking back over the years, it's clear now, he certainly was. And I'm trying to tell you tonight that God is interested in your life. He's always working to bring you to Himself. You might reject that, but that's what He's up to. He wants to bring you to Himself, to bring you into a closer relationship with Him, and you say, why am I going through this? Because God's at work. God's providence is at work. You might be resisting the will of God, but God's at work. And He's trying to bring you to Himself. Even though I was saved at the time, I joined the military right after high school. Simply because it made sense. It wasn't because I thought, Lord, are you going to bless this? No. I was 17. Where are you going to get clothes, food, and 30 days paid leave a year and medical benefits? I'll join the service. I'm tired of Dad telling me what to do. I was assigned to Langley Air Force Base, Virginia, where we basically did nothing for God. Then I received orders to South Korea. The one place Adrian said, I don't want to go. Be careful telling God what you don't want to do. (laughs) Yeah. But it was there in South Korea, while under God's providence, I wasn't right with God upon arrival, but God was directing behind the scenes. Do you hear me? God was directing behind the scenes. And He brought us there so that He could get a hold of our hearts. And it was there I learned more fully why God had brought Adrian into my life in the first place. Because she said, I'm going to church whether you go or not. And I said, I don't think so, young lady. If you're going to church, I'm going with you. <laughs> what kind of sense does that make? But... And it just so happened that right outside the post, ten buildings down from where we lived, was an independent Baptist church. Amen. I grew up Southern Baptist. I didn't know anything about independent Baptist. But as soon as you walked out the gate, giant letters on the building of the fifth floor, We Jambu Baptist Church. And we had to pass it every day to walk to our house. And God brought us into that church, and it was there that I would end up surrendering my life, being called to preach. We returned stateside, and I began preaching, but I was still seeking my own fulfillment in life. Parents, you may think your kid's okay because they're in church. I can tell you, I, I was preaching, and I still wanted my own thing in life. So I joined the Hurricane Hunters because I thought it would be a fun job. And it was. Flying to a hurricane sometime. Why did I do that? Because I thought God would be honored and glorified? No. I just wanted to do something fun. Eventually, in God's providence, He arranged circumstances in our life where I needed to return to active duty, and I did, which led us to Grace Independent Baptist Church in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. While there, God really confirmed the call to preach, but I still wasn't completely sold out. When it came time for orders, I chose Ellsworth Air Force Base. You know why? It wasn't because I heard of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. It was because in our classroom behind me was a topographical map and poking out of South Dakota was Harney Peak, which is now Black Elk Peak. And I thought, that looks like a great place to go hiking. (laughs) This is why your pastor chose 
Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota. I was not sold out for God. You hear what I'm saying? But wait a minute, you were preaching and you were serving God and you were active in church. But while they're at training, towards the end, God had me cross paths with Zach Costilla. He directed us to this church. That's the first time I heard of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And while we served here, while we were here, listen, I was very busy when I was here. Teaching teens and young adults, filling in up at Custer, preaching at the jail every Friday. Listen, I was busy. I still wasn't completely sold out for God. I knew God didn't have all of my heart. So I had a choice again. After um, going to OTS, I had a choice to go to Whiteman or Minot, North Dakota. Any normal person would have picked Whiteman. But I chose Minot, North Dakota. You say, why? Because when I called the guy at Whiteman, he was way too excited about his job. I said, listen, I might be in the Air Force, but I'm not all blue, and I just want to go somewhere where they're laid back. So I called up the guy in Minot. He sounded like a complete doofus, and I said, that's where I want to go. That's a fact. Before that tour was over, God was breaking me down. And I mean breaking me down. Before that tour was over, I knew God was calling me to liberty. This church. I didn't know in what capacity. I just knew. I knew God had given me Psalm 119.45. And I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. We ended up back up in Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi back at Grace Independent Baptist Church. And my desire was to return here, but things were not in my favor. And you kind of maybe have to understand the military system to understand what I'm about to tell you. But it was all God's providence. The, the current flight commander here wasn't slated to leave when I would have been eligible for an assignment. It never would have worked out right. And there was only one position to fill here. And so it, it just things were not in my favor is what I'm telling you. Uh, for one, I'd already been a flight commander, and to get those assignments again were, was probably not going to happen unless I volunteered to do it because it's almost a career killer. N- number two, like I said, that person wasn't leaving yet, but that current flight commander that was here, when it was just about my turn, when it was just about my turn to get stationed here, that flight commander here, you know what happened? They got picked up for flight training out of the blue. Just so happened. Are you hearing me? It just so happened this way. No. God is at work behind the scenes. They left for for flight school. I was able to be sent up here. And it's a long story. I thought I had four years left when I arrived here. But in God's providence, the commander here felt like I needed to be reevaluated medically, even though Keesler had said you're worldwide qualified. When I got here, things just magically changed. I don't know why, except God is at work. And in less than a year upon arrival, I was out and pastoring the church. Even still, as your pastor, I always had one eye on Tennessee. I think many of you know I, we had property there on the Clinch River, and I was desirous to live there with my parents. And God had to take that away too. That's a very shortened version of God's providence in my life. God was at work at every turn. Not because I was always right with Him. Not because I was always diligently seeking Him. There were flashes in the pan along the way, 
But really, things didn't happen in earnest until North Dakota. And as I just shared with you, God still had things He needed to dig out. What was God doing? He was bringing me to Himself. And if time permitted, I could share with you how every assignment, looking back, was preparing me for this day. I didn't know that at the time. But years later, it was evident how God was in every detail. And I'm telling you this because Esther chapter 2 is showing us God's providence. The whole book will. But I mean, we can trace His hand from chapter 1 all the way through, but we're really starting to see it here come into full view. And what I want you to know, and what I want you to trust, is that God is always at work in your life. Even when you're messing things up. I said sometime in this series that when you refuse to yield to God's will... His providence takes over. You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not see it. But God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And you need to learn to trust Him fully. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Don't ever forget that God knows the end from the beginning. He has a purpose for what you're going through tonight. You may say, I don't like it. God has a purpose. Do you really think Esther enjoyed having her purity taken away from her? God had a purpose. And sometimes we see some rascals get out of the will of God and it breaks our heart. Because we see the rebellion in their heart. And we just start to pray, God, get a hold of them. God, break them. And really we're asking God in your providence, will you please overrule? And you direct them and you guide them. And you bring them to yourself. God has a design for you. Even if you're resisting at times. He will orchestrate circumstances to bring you back to where you should have been all along. Painful circumstances. Hard circumstances. Confusing at times. What is God doing? He's trying to bring you to Himself. And the more you resist the more God ratchets it, ratchets it up. Whatever I'm trying to say there. God will kick it up a notch. We, we serve a great God. And God just wants you in fellowship with Him. Trust Him and I will promise you, you ask some of these gray heads around here and they will tell you, I can see how God had been leading all along. I didn't like it at the time. I didn't understand it at the time. But in God's providence, He has brought me to where I'm at today. And hopefully you'll bring yourself up under God's will. Let's pray.